Thanks, Benjamin, so much. Good to see everybody this morning. Good morning. Good to be together. It really is. And uh, by the way, good news. Going to start being warmer today. So <laughs> had an early preview, somewhat early, of uh, cold weather of winter this last week. But uh, warmer weather is coming. We're thankful for that. But we're thankful to be together. We really are. And how blessed we are to be together to worship God and to be here in fellowship together and study his word. We're so thankful and we want to glorify him by so doing. I want to bring the second part of this lesson or this study that I began last Sunday talking about how we need to pay attention to our salvation, to our soul's salvation and asking the overriding question, are you neglecting your salvation? Now in that first part of the study, I brought out really, I guess, the more obvious ways that we could be neglecting our salvation. And the first one being, have we really come to Christ in his way, repenting of our sins, confessing our faith in him openly as God's son and our Lord and Savior, and being baptized, buried with him in the waters of baptism, so that the blood that he shed on the cross could cleanse us of the guilt of our sins, and we could, at that point, be reborn spiritually and be saved. Come up out of the, that watery grave a new person, as Paul brings out in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, a new creation from a spiritual perspective. And then the second way that I brought out that we could be neglecting our salvation, or at least in some cases, some people could be, is by not paying attention to our faith, not really staying in God's word and growing in our faith and putting what we learn as we study his word into practice actively in our lives. And so people, they, start, they stop paying proper attention to their growth and strength of their faith and they become weaker and weaker and they fall away from faithfulness. And so those are two obvious ways that we could be neglecting our salvation or that many people could be, and we need to be on guard against letting that happen in our own personal lives. Now, just a few days, our nation is going to celebrate Thanksgiving Day. And I like that day because it helps people focus again upon their blessings from God. And it, it gives families opportunity to come together and be close together on that particular day, but also, it gives people some motivation to stop and think about how much God has blessed them. Really, we should be thinking of every day as Thanksgiving Day because God blesses us continually. And when we stop and think about it, everything that is truly good in our lives, as James wrote in James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Well, what is the greatest blessing of all? And I think many of us would say, God sent Jesus to that cross to die to pay the price for the guilt of our sins. As Monroe just brought out as we partook of the Lord's Supper a few moments ago, he brought that particular sacrifice in the part of God the Father and God the Son on our behalf. He brought that out and did an excellent job doing that. And as we partake of the supper every single first day of the week, Acts 20 and verse seven, 
we remember that sacrifice, we remember that blessing from God, the ultimate of all blessings. Now, what do we have most to be thankful for on a personal basis? Well, we say, God sent Christ to that cross to die for us. Okay, and then as we have responded in obedience, faithful obedience and consistent faithful lifestyle, we have our soul salvation. Our soul salvation. We need to be diligent to give proper attention to matters that are important to us. And we could think about all kinds of things that we would think on a personal basis. Well, yeah, those are important to us. But now, the devil is always there, and it's not always the devil who instigates this. Sometimes we're just careless in our thinking and in our focus. And so we become neglectful in many ways about many things in our lives that we really ought not to neglect. But neglect will commonly spell doom for whatever is being neglected. And so we talked about relationships, husband-wife relationships. If either spouse begins neglecting that relationship, then that relationship is almost undoubtedly going to suffer and maybe ultimately fall apart. But what about our job, our career? If we neglect being diligent in our job, in our career, and unfortunately our culture today seems to be moving farther in that direction, well, our career, our job is gonna suffer and very possibly, if not probably, we're going to lose our job. But think about buying a new house again. And you're happy as you walk in and you smell the, the smells of newness within that house. The freshly painted walls, the new carpet. You look around at all of the appliances and they're brand new and they're glimmering and glittering. And you say, boy, this is great. And you think about how blessed I am. But of course, those are material things, but they're blessings from God. If they're truly good things, all good things, truly good things come from God as blessings. He is the blessing giver. But what if you don't take care of that home? What if you just let it go to pot, so to speak? Well, that home is going to become more and more out of order and ultimately it may fall down around your ears given enough time. But now, especially when we're thinking about things that we ought not neglect, our spiritual life is at the height number one position on that list. We should never neglect our spiritual life. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 13, beginning with verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven, now notice he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, being in heaven, salvation, our eternal life, our soul salvation. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking, uh, seeking beautiful pearls, and when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, in other words, that man stumbles upon a treasure in a field and that treasure is so valuable that he goes off and sells everything else that he has to get enough money to buy that field because that's how valuable that treasure is. And then that pearl merchant, 
he finds one pearl that is so exquisite, so magnificent in value that he sells everything else he has and buys that pearl because it is more valuable than everything else he has put together. But now, this is not a parable about treasures in a field or magnificent pearls, but Jesus begins each of those accounts as the kingdom of heaven is like. That's our soul's salvation. Our soul's salvation is like the most valuable treasure that we could imagine, the most exquisite, magnificent pearl that could ever be found, and even beyond that. That is the value of our soul, and that should motivate us to be thankful above our salvation, our soul's salvation above everything else, to be thankful for it. And we need to think about that, not just during this week, but every day of our lives. In fact, Jesus went on in Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26, and he says, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The rhetorical questions to ask them is to answer them the sense being understood within the question itself. What if a man gains the whole world? Now stop and imagine what that could include. Everything, every bit of money, every treasure, everything of value. But he loses his soul. Jesus said he's lost more than he's gained by far. Nothing compares with the value of our soul's salvation. And the same thing is said, the same answer is understood when he says, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Nothing should be the answer in our minds immediately. Nothing is worth giving up my soul over. So how careless then. How foolish to neglect our soul's salvation. As the Hebrews writer brought out in Hebrews chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, as Benjamin read a few moments ago, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, the gospel of Christ, the message of salvation through our Lord and Savior, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? What in the world could we think would be worth neglecting our soul's salvation? Perish the thought. Well, let's look at some other ways that we could be neglecting our soul's salvation, maybe without thinking about it that much. And yet, they're real avenues of neglect. Are you neglecting your soul's salvation? Have you neglected to worship God with the church as you should? Or have there seemed to have been excuses that have come into your mind or reasons that you have reasoned out and said, I, I, I don't need to be there. I don't need to be there so much. I don't need to be there always. Well, who do you think is putting those thoughts in your head? What do you think is the source of those thoughts? In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning with verse 23, the Hebrews writer writes, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now holding it fast means never letting it go. Never letting it go. 
For he who promised, and what is it? The conf our confession of hope. What hope? Not a wild wish or an unrealistic dream, but our expectation through the promise of God to see it through to our fulfillment, our hope of salvation. For he who promised is faithful. God has promised us salvation through Jesus Christ. If we'll come to him for that salvation through Christ, in the way that God has laid out for us in scripture. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. And that's one blessing that comes by being together to worship God as the family of God here at Sunny Slope or in his church anywhere around the world. We encourage one another. We strengthen one another. And when we think, I don't, I don't really need that, I, I'm strong. No, you're already weak when you reason things out that way. You're already weakening. And so in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need to be together to worship God, yes. To glorify God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, yes. But we need to be together for our own strength and well-being and spiritual safety. Many people are asleep spiritually. Or if they're not already asleep spiritually, they're starting to doze off, if you understand. You ever seen somebody sit down maybe after dinner? And they go and sit down and they start talking to some other people who have just had dinner with them and they're sitting down, they're talking and one person, he's not given much, much contribution in the conversation and you look over after a while and he's kind of dozing off there, isn't he? Or maybe you sit down, you're watching TV and maybe it's not something that's really grabbing you but you start dozing off there. Well, there's a whole lot of Christians who are dozing off if they're not already fast asleep spiritually. The Hebrews writer wrote there that we need to pay attention to our time worshiping God together. Look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And then in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 34, awake to righteousness and do not sin, do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. We need to be focused on living the faithful, the faithful Christian life. And we need to not let our faith be growing weaker along the way. And let me tell you, the weakness of faith in a whole lot of people is characterized by, in part at least, by their neglect to worship God as they ought, to be together with the church as they need to be. To worship God regularly with the church is indicative of steadfast faith. We see the example from the congregation in Jerusalem early after it was established upon this earth. Acts 2 and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. What does that word steadfastly mean? It means solidly, firmly, dedicated, committed on an ongoing basis. You cannot fulfill all that worship is 
supposed to achieve if, either to God or to your fellow Christians if you're continually not gathering with them in their presence. In, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19, we simply look at what we're supposed to accomplish through our singing in worship to God, but also singing together as a congregation of the Lord's family, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We're supposed to be teaching, encouraging, instructing one another through our songs as we sing them and worship to God, they're also instruction and teaching and communication to our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the word of God dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We're worshiping God through those songs. But the words have meaning. It's not just sounds that we're sending up to God in worship, but we're sending messages. In some cases, songs are prayers to God. But all of those words, all of those messages have meaning for each of us, and we're communicating them as we sing those songs. We're teaching one another. We're reaching out to one another. We're encouraging one another. Now, to neglect partaking of the Lord's Supper as the church is a serious matter. Notice that in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, on the first day of the week, when they came together to break bread, and that's understood, and they came together to break bread to partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. They came together for a specific purpose, to break bread, to partake of the Lord's Supper to commune together around the Lord's table. And in that way, as Paul brought out in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in detail, we remember the Lord's death on that cross through the supper that we partake of. Breaking the bread, remembering his body being broken into through the nails in his hands and feet, the thorns pushed down on his head and the spear thrust into his side. As we partake of the fruit of the vine, we remember the blood shed as a result of his body being broken into in those ways. We remember his death, but then it also says, Paul also says, we show the Lord's death until he comes. And so we're remembering as we partake of the Lord's Supper, and we're also witnessing to the world around us who has not yet become Christians, our Lord is coming again, and we need to be ready. We need to be ready. In John chapter 4, beginning with verse 23, Jesus emphasized, the hour is coming and now is, when the true worshipers, now understand that word true as a qualifier before he used the word worshipers, We'll worship the Father in spirit and truth. We need to worship God his way. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. 
We come together with a purpose and for a purpose. We come together thanking God for all that he has done for us and continues to do for us. And we worship him, not just going through motions, but in spirit, but also according to the way that he wants us to worship. And that's in truth. The Revelation teaches us something in Revelation 14 and verse 7 along this line. Saying with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Worship God who is the creator over all things and is God the father over all humanity. So we need to not neglect to worship God with the church as God has instructed us and expects us to worship him. Have you neglected your relationship with God through prayer? The Apostle Paul put it really succinctly and straightforwardly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 when he said simply, pray without ceasing. And he's not talking about every moment you're awake uttering a prayer across your lips, but he's talking about continually we pray to God every day throughout the day we bring our needs but also our praise to him through prayer and also our thanksgiving to him when Paul listed those implements that long list of the spiritual armor the Christian armor if we want to think of it that way the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit and so on he added at the very end of that list in Ephesians 6 and verse 18, prayer. He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. When we do everything we can do, we need to still turn it over to God and pray for God's guidance, his blessings, his, his deliverance, his protection, and so on. We need that, that regular, frequent, personal communion with God through prayer on a daily basis. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 6, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Jesus taught about prayer. In fact, over and over and over again, we see Jesus portrayed through the gospel accounts as praying to the Father. The night of his betrayal in John 17, he's praying that entire chapter virtually is his prayer to the Father. Prayer is emphasized throughout the, new, throughout the scriptures. But just think about in the New Testament that 57 verses in New Testament scripture alone use the word prayer or pray. And 29 scriptures use the word prayer. And that's just in the New Testament alone. We need God's protection. We need his blessings. We need his guidance. We need his favor. We need him to watch over us. We need his deliverance. And he's blessed us to be able to carry all of these needs and more to him through that avenue of prayer. How blessed we are to be able to call upon our Father anytime, wherever we might be, and pray to him and say, God, 
Thank you for blessing me. I need you in a special way right now. Matthew 26 and verse 41, watch and pray. Jesus told Peter, James, and John in the garden of Gethsemane. After he had left them at a particular place and went on farther into the garden and he was praying to the Father. He came back and he found them asleep. He said, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We need God's strength on an ongoing basis and we need to tap into his power to strengthen us through that, through that special line of prayer. When we look in Ephesians 3 and verse 20, sometimes we might think, I, I can't do it. I don't know how anymore. I've, I've tried, I, I can't, can't, whatever it is, whatever the problem and the challenge might be that's facing us at the moment, I can't do it. I can't see my way through it. But we need to remember what the Apostle Paul wrote about God's power. To him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. God has the answer when we come up short. God has the strength when we come up weak. God has the direction when we don't know necessarily which way to turn. We turn to him. He is able to do far more than we can even conceive of in our minds. If you're neglecting prayer in your life, then you're neglecting your salvation. James wrote in James 5 and verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. You know, sometimes think I, you know, some people think in the Lord's church, I, I, I don't want to tell anybody about such and such, or I don't want to tell anybody about, you know, I'm going through this particular physical problem or whatever. I, 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 I don't want to, you know, I'm more private than that. Really? You don't need other people's prayers for your life? You don't need other people's prayers for your deliverance, for your strength, to see you through whatever it is you're struggling with or facing at the moment? You think you're big enough and, and self-sufficient enough to be able to deal with all of it yourself? You don't cherish brothers and sisters in Christ praying for you on your behalf? Does that make any sense? Or is that foolhardy again? Or maybe even arrogant? Confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man and I like the translation that says, has great power in its effect. And it's not because of we who are doing the praying, it is because of him to whom we are praying. God is all-powerful. Nothing is impossible for God. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. Are you neglecting your prayer life? and thereby neglecting your salvation? We need to stay in touch with God. Have you neglected your dedication to God? Your open, active dedication to God. Become careless, complacent, and inactive in serving him. Is that where you're at? And maybe neglecting your salvation in that way. Making excuses for not being able to do or just not doing what you can do to serve God in active and consistent ways. And that's not saying you can do everything, but God don't make no junk hope you understand the grammatical incorrectness there for the sake of emphasis. You can do something. Are you doing what you can do to serve God? 
A faithful Christian needs to maintain good works in our life. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We need to be examples to the people around us. Having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, that they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. It's hard to consistently criticize somebody who's simply living a godly life and will not shrink away from it. Not calling undue attention to themselves for self-glorification, but simply living the life that God wants them to live. In Titus chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and those things, and these things I want to affirm to you constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful, that is full of care, to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. And verse 14, let our people also learn to maintain good works. That's on an ongoing basis. To meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. For us to live a fruitful life before God, from a spiritual perspective, we need to continue to live in the good works that God has designed for us to be able to do. And he gives all of us different abilities and capabilities and opportunities and open doors. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58, as Paul is closing that incredible treatise on the soul, on salvation, on eternity through Jesus Christ, he says, let me read Titus 2 and verse 14 first, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify himself for himself, his own special people, zealous with a zeal and enthusiasm to be serving the God, serving God actively through good works. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 58, therefore my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let's not make excuses for not being active in our service to God. And I'm not talking about just showing up for worship service. We're talking about the basic barometer there of our faithfulness and strength in our faith. I'm talking about beyond that, the good works that he has designed for us to be involved in. In fact, James chapter 2 and verse 17, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verse 20, do you not know, want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Are we forgetting these verses? repetitive, numerous, not just from one particular passage of scripture or from one particular letter in the, in the New Testament, but over and over and over again, we're taught. Ephesians 2 and verse 10, the apostle Paul, and a lot of people, I stop, I'm afraid, with verse 9, or at least they don't pay as much attention to verse 10. They like what it says there in verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But then the very next verse, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
Are you neglecting your salvation? By making excuses for not doing what you could and should do to serve God actively, openly. Remember what James wrote in James chapter 4 and verse 17. For him who knows what is good to do or what is right and does not do it, for him it is sin. Are you being diligent in giving proper attention to your soul's salvation? Are you paying attention? Are you focusing on a daily basis, living that godly life, that Christian life? Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 10, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent, active word, to make your call and election sure. Your call and election, your salvation. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be focused. We need to pay attention. Are you nurturing your faith? Are you nurturing your faith? Are you worshiping God with the church faithfully? Are you praying to God and actively and consistently serving him actively? Or have you been neglecting your salvation? We see neglect all around us, don't we? I drive, my wife and I love to drive just out through the country, and we drive through parks and everything, and many times I'll drive by some particular park setting, and I'll see what at one time was set there in place as a really nice picnic table or some kind of setting that when it was first put there, it was in a beautiful area, and it itself was so conducive to somebody sitting down and just enjoying it. But then I see a lot of those settings where, as you see, that chair on the side, it was just neglected. Neglected, and the vines started growing up around it and over it. To me, that's a sad picture. The Hebrews writer said in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 and 3, Therefore, give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And that's become unfaithful. Lack of dedication. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? What is our greatest blessing? Salvation in Christ. Are you neglecting your soul's salvation? Have you been, become complacent in a lifestyle that is not as dedicated as it needs to be? Nothing matters but getting to heaven. Any life that ends without on that final day of judgment, us crossing that threshold through the pearly gates onto the golden streets of the city of heaven, anything that comes short of that is a life of utter failure. Are you walking that walk? Not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. Are you focused? Or are you neglecting your salvation?
Now, if you've never come to Christ, surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of your sins, you're neglecting your salvation. We'd like to help you with that this morning. We'll pray with you. We'll study with you. We'll assist you with you coming into Christ and salvation in him by being baptized into him for the remission of your sins. If you have become weak and weaker and weaker in your faithfulness, we'd love to pray with you about that. We want to encourage you. We'd like to help you see how you can become more active. But if you're just neglecting some of the focus in your personal life, then please refocus. Get back active. Quit making excuses. The greatest thing we have to be thankful for is a home in heaven. Don't walk away from that greatest of all blessings. Don't neglect your salvation. Won't you come if you need to as we stand and sing?